When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our countdown of our top 10 teams heading into the 2022 college tennis dual match season. Of course, each and every week, John Parsons, Matt Stachowiak, Chris Halioris, and I will come together to preview a new team in our preseason top 10. This week, we've arrived at number eight on the list. And for what it's worth here on this top, uh, on this episode, excuse me, while we're discussing men's tennis, this is where we see the top tier of teams emerge. We were in our pre-season discussions as we were working out the list. We talked about the fact that we felt there was a definitive top eight this year. Of course, that is a subject we will dive into today as well as a preview of our number eight preseason team and joining me to do just that as they always do when we're talking men's college tennis are the two other members of our Crack Rackets Holy Trinity. Of course, let's start where we always start. You know him as a former four-star recruit on TennisRecruiting.net, your favorite writer for our website, CrackRackets.com, the better half of former Baylor standout Nick Stokowiak. It's Matt the Crack Stokowiak. Matty, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing today, my friends? Happy belated Thanksgiving to you and yours. Yeah, man, appreciate that. It was uh, good Thanksgiving, got to hang out with the family for a while, so ate a lot, drank a lot. You know how it goes. I'm uh, still feeling some of the effects, but um, no, excited to talk about this team here today with you guys. You know, uh, I follow the Big 12 very closely, so this is a team that I am highly interested in. I started to realize there's no spoilers in terms of saying the team because when listeners click on the episode, they're like number eight TCU. So holding out until, you know, we get to that point, it doesn't actually matter. But no, I'm glad you had a great Thanksgiving. I do want to just mention to you because I know this is something you're familiar with. We had the level one boys 12s national indoor championships this weekend in Indy. And I would say 75% of the kids cried on court, Maddie. It was unbelievable, and it was just about the passion they had for the sport, and they would go from full-on tears to just, like, LeBron James mean mug and fist pump, like, from just point to point. It was it was a display, just the passion, the line calls. It was delightful, and the thing is, in the 12s, every parent still thinks their kid can be Roger Federer, and so I, I, is that what you remember of those experiences, that sort of level of play, watching yourself or Nikki go through that? Yeah, it is, man. I mean, you you hit it right there. I don't disagree with anything you just said. Um, It is an interesting time to be a tennis player. I mean, you can get a a lot of good laughs out of watching some of those uh, 12 and under matches. So I'm sure you had a great time. Oh, all I could do. You never cried, did you, Maddie? Eh, A hundred percent. I, I, I mean, there there was some tough matches there, Chris. I mean, I had to go through some 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 tough Ooh. ones. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna deny it. I have an unnamed source, Chris, who told me about Maddie's game. Quote: Oh, he was always brilliant in practice. The problem is, the second that was over, he was not going to the gym. <laughs> is this true, Maddie? You're shaking your head. Yeah, no, this is all true. <laughs> Good. Good source there. I'll keep that in mind. But of course, also joining us, you heard his voice there. The third member of our Holy Trinity, you know him as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula. Predictions never far from the listed UTR. One of the many dames who roots for the Liberty Flames. Lover of mothers, lover of almond joys, the snitch, the professor. He quotes Henry Ford. He's a 3.0 UTR. And yes, he loves the SEC enough for all of us. It's Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. How are you doing today? 
I'm doing great. Wow. I get a bleed in from one of your earlier interviews today to add to the intro, huh? Um, this is the thing. This is how you know we're back in rhythm is that I can add things seamlessly and you know exactly where they're from. That's just for you, Coach Coffee. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> and Maddie, just so you know, I did an interview today with South Carolina head coach Josh Goffey. It's part of our series where we're interviewing all of the Power Five men's and women's coaches. By the way, if any coach hears this that hasn't contacted me or hasn't been contacted by me you know where to find me um but you know with that said maddie i was talking to coach goffey today and he goes well you know alex i know last year you were anti-sec you thought it was a rankings boost and then he goes into this argument about why the sec is really good and i said coach i'm not anti-sec i'm just anti-chris it's like he likes the sec enough for all of us so do i really need to as well and he goes oh that's that's fair he goes it's a good point editorially right I'm with him on that. Hey, I I get it. Look, we're not anti-SEC. It's just we leave that stuff to Chris. Yeah. Yeah, you, you you mentioned earlier, Gus. You you started off on your other intro, and you said for what it's worth, and what before you had let on who the team was. I thought you almost were about to say Fort Worth. It's what. I thought. (laughs) Thought you were. I thought you were letting the cat out of the bag, and then it totally escaped me that. Yeah, it's plastered all over the uh, the episode when it goes out. So I don't, I honestly don't know why we uh, delay saying who it is. If I didn't <laughs> think it would go so poorly, I would let you do the intro for one of these shows just for the laugh, Chris. Because I just like would love to hear how you ring me and Maddie in, um, and maybe we'll do that. You know, once we hit like late April and it's the end of the dual match season, and it's like. Mich- uh, I was going to say Michigan versus a not as good Big Ten school, but I'm not throwing any coaches under the bus since I have to interview all of them. You know, when it's that portion of the year, maybe we'll have some fun and we'll mix things around. But of course, again, always great all to right. have you guys on the show. We're going to preview our number eight team. Before we do that, I do want to talk about a big pickup on the recruiting trail. And this happened a couple of weeks ago. Although if you listen to our number eight women show, you'll hear Jay and I talk about this this, uh, topic as well. And that's the fact that Ozan Kolak, one of the top 10 recruits in the nation, decided to stay home. He decided to head to Michigan State. You look for this Michigan State program. Obviously, this is as big of a pickup as they've had in program history, although you look at what Coach Orlando, Coach Jaden have been able to do over the past few seasons, again, dating back, you know, 2019, they pick up a five-star in Andrew Keene, a couple of four-stars as well. 2020, they get two five-star recruits, Luke Bayless and Graydon Lair. 2018, they get two four-star recruits, Carson Gates, Nick Williams. Now, obviously, you know, this past year, two five-stars, Portnoy and Sheldon. Now, the crown jewel, Ozan Kolak, to add to five-star David Say in the mix as well. Look, you guys know my thoughts on Harry, and obviously that's one where I'm biased. He's a fellow Michigan man through and through, as in from the state of Michigan, obviously not University of Michigan. But I want to open it up to you, Maddie. That's, you know, again, now we're talking, this is five consecutive years, really four of five-star recruits or better, but they're starting to get some talent. And it felt like last year, just given the success 500 in the Big Ten, they had the depth to beat those schools who had beaten them the past few years. Now you get that crown jewel, that guy who, you know, again, maybe isn't beating Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois at one right away, but... You feel good against uh, with him against just about anyone else in the conference. This is a pickup for the Spartans. Yeah, it is. There's no question it is. It's it's big time for that program. But, you know, I don't know how much it really tilts the scales, right? I mean, we're talking about the Big Ten, Power Five. I mean, just recruiting, they need more of it. You know, I understand it's a big pickup, but in my opinion, it, it doesn't make all that much of a difference. If they can kind of string this together even more, you mentioned the last, I don't know, three or four recruiting classes, Gruskin, but I think I think it needs to be the next two, three, or four after this year as well, um, where they can really kind of build up the program. They compete hard. They do every year. That's never in question. You mentioned their depth. I just think... They have got to have some of this, you know, more top level talent, I think. And and this is a good start. It's a step in the right direction. So we'll see how they do. And Chris, I'm going to ask you to pull up, if you can, the Big Ten UTRs just to see where they are right now compared to other teams. But where I'd push back, Maddie, and I think I have my facts right. I'll get a text if I don't. But you, 
You'd have to go back to 2014-15 range, back with the Aaron Fister, Harry Jaden, John Patrick Mullane, young Brad Foreman teams, where they were competing and making the NCAA tournament, and that was the expectation going into a couple of seasons in a row. When you bring in a guy like Ozan and you bring in the depth that they have to where now, again, 500 in the Big Ten, they've seen what that looks like. They've got the talent to do that. Now you're competing for NCAA tournaments every year. And is that the scale we're normally discussing here on this show? No. And I think sometimes we get criticism for that, that we focus on the top of the top and not those sorts of jumps for programs. You get a guy like Ozan, you have to make the NCAA tournament every season you have him to validate that choice, to show blue chips across the country he made the right decision. Now, they just hosted a 15K. That's huge for a program. There's no denying that. And I think Ozan made the final in doubles with another former state guy in Jack Winkler. I think all of those things matter, Maddie. Like, I, I do think that's what this recruit does. It's, it's that jump to where it's now, all right, we have to make the NCAA tournament each of the next four seasons. Well, let's see it come to fruition. Sure. I understand what you're saying, but let's But I guess, and let's name your- names, though. But like Indiana, Wisconsin, Nebraska, that tier of the Big Ten. You get a guy like Kolak now, you feel good about him at one. And they've proven five and six. It's just like that's the difference now is you should win those matches every time. Yeah, I, but will they? Let's see True. what Chris True. has to say about the UTRs. Yeah, you probably don't want to know what the UTR. Oh, it's good. It's got to be nine, ten, or what is it? Eleven of of twelve or something. Well, that's what I was I was counting down here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There, I only see ten. So obviously, there's no Minnesota. Yeah, no Maryland, no Rutgers, no Iowa, no Iowa. Yeah, so that's there four. is only there's ten. ten. There it is. There's ten. They don't even have. Kolak listed, but if I take out six and put him in, that moves him up to second to last. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to so, say here, guys. Like, yeah, the, I mean, yeah, the, the problem is, obvi- I mean, obviously he's going to be, uh, you know, number one uh, far and away uh, on, on the roster UTR-wise, but some of those guys that they've added recently that you've talked about in Lair and Bayless, right, those guys aren't even 12s right now. So. Sure. Um, so that they're, that's hurting them, certainly, uh, on the UTR scale. Sheldon's barely – I mean, their top is a 12-2. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, so from a UTR standpoint, yeah, they're hurting. But it's a, it, there's no doubt uh, it's a huge pickup. But at the same time, you know, that tier that you're talking about uh, in the Big Ten is there's a lot of schools, you know, all battling. But, you know, when you get down between Michigan State, Purdue, IU – uh, Penn State, Nebraska, uh, Wisconsin, you know, I think from there down, those those schools are, you know, all going to be pretty competitive with each other. It's it's then kind of a little bit of a jump up when you then get into the Northwestern, Illinois, Michigan, Ohio State category. Right. But mm-hmm. but yeah, those I mean, they're going to be they're going to be able to compete with those schools. Yeah, I'm just saying, keep the eye on East Lansing. Harry, when you want Chris's number, text me. I'll happily send it your way, and then you can yell at him. Um, He's got me. He's got me. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, No, it is interesting to hear that UTR. It just feels like they've got a bunch of 12 twos on the roster, like when things actually shake out well, and now you've got your 13, right? And now you've got your upside play down the road. And so, again, he stays home. Fascinating decision, and one— Certainly, we take note of here at Crack Rackets. But with that said, let's get into it. Let's talk number eight TCU. So, of course, Maddie, as always, I turn to you first, and you wrote about TCU for our website, crackrackets.com, today. All you can go there to read Maddie's extended thoughts. Here's a factoid I'd just add for you you look for this TCU team, seven consecutive top 10 finishes. For head coach David Roditi, dating back to 2015. Of course, you look the past, uh, you know, since 2015, they've made the quarterfinals or better in four of six years. They went round of 16 twice, semifinals in 2015. This was a team that, you know, got earned a split of the Big 12 championship last season. They beat Baylor at home, uh, or excuse me, on the road 4-1 after dropping the doubles point, I believe, in that match and took four singles wins off of the Bears, of course. 
They beat down the Buckeyes 4-1 in the round of 16 at the NCAA tournament before falling to Baylor. Of course, they fell to Baylor at the Big 12 championship. They played Baylor so many times uh, last year. And, you know, for this team, they were 4-3 darlings at the start of the year as well. Played three 4-3 matches at the National Indoors. Was a miraculous 4-3 victory for them against USC. And you look overall, was a 19-8 campaign. That, again, ended that up in the NCAA quarterfinal. But, Maddie, when I look at this team and all of the health struggles they suffered last year, and we're going to talk about that today because that's a big part of this story, I think you could argue TCU had the single biggest overperformance in 2021 of any team in the country. Now, certainly you want to talk underperformance at the NCAA tournament. There are a couple schools that come to mind. Tar Heels being number one, obviously, as they fell in the round of 16. But just given all of the health struggles, you know, I don't think they were bad at the National Indoors. 4-3, 4-3, 4-3, it was a marathon event. They beat Baylor during the season. They earned that split of the Big 12 regular season title. They beat Ohio State to make the NCAA quarterfinals. And no one was healthy. Like, again, and Martin suspended for a match and all these different things are happening. Like, I really do think that they made a quarterfinals. You could argue it was the overperformance of the year. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have to really think about it if I was going to say that. But I know what you mean. I understand yeah. why you bring that up because there were so many injuries. It was a roller coaster, right? It just felt like TCU was just up and down and up and down and all over the place. And they still end up finishing in that top eight quarterfinal spot. Um, this program is just the model of consistency, right? I mean, Coach Roditi, these guys are always, we just expect them to finish in the top 10, right? Like every year, it's not even really a conversation. Yep, oh, TCU is going to be up there. We know they are. And and that's a credit to the program and, and you know, all the guys that come through there, the way they compete and battle and everything. But um, last year was interesting, right? A majority of their matches were on the road. They only mm-hmm. played eight home matches in Fort Worth. They were either playing at a neutral site, you know, at the National Indoors or at the NCAA tournament, or they were on the road. It was a weird schedule, you know, and then considering they had to navigate all the injuries, I do think they did very well. That team scared everybody. I just remember, I mean, going into the Big 12 tournament, the NCAA tournament, hey, TCU's a threat to anybody. They had talent all throughout the lineup, you know, Of course, when they were healthy, um, you know, they were good enough to compete with anybody. So that wasn't surprising. Just another good year um, considering the circumstances. And I expect the same thing this year. I really do. That's what TCU tennis is all about. They played 13 doubles teams last year. Now, so much of that was a byproduct of injuries and, you know, throwing Max Kurzban in in a pinch. And, you know, thankfully they had guys like Kruger and Fernley and Paralek and Jirasek that two of them had to be healthy just to get to six guys. And they always had at least two of them. But that was it. They never really had more than two of them. And so to see a team with that sort of depth go 13 and 11 at five singles and 12 and seven at six singles. That felt like an underperformance, and yet Famba and Gray were as good of a one-two duo as you could find in college tennis last season. And they go 13-8 at one, and 16-6 and at two, 11-7 and at the number one doubles position. You know, Chris, we actually had the opportunity to speak with Coach Roditi, a conversation you can hear on the Cracked Interviews podcast was a particularly enjoyable one. We got Coach Roditi as he was scrambling post-birthday to make a quick stop over in Cancun, and I just think we got him in the right mindset, certainly, Chris. Uh, But, you know, he talked about the injuries and just the lack of continuity, and he said, through it all, Gray and Famba at the top. I mean, they're over – when I talk overperformance, it's not as though we didn't know they were talented – But they were both top 25 players, certainly, throughout the course of the year, Chris. And that, you know, again, and that's at a minimum, and that was the difference for this team, is it actually wasn't the depth in the end. It was that they were getting wins at one and two against just about everyone. Yeah, and and the interesting thing from that talk, as you said, you know, the good good interview to go listen to was it was was probably exactly the opposite (laughs) of what Coach Roditi expected going into the year. He said, hey, coming into the year, my thoughts were, wow, we're going to be really, really good at three through six. Like, we're deep. And like, if memory you know, serves me depth. correct, you loved the depth of this team last year, Chris. This was your sleeper pick just at, from the start of the season. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, they had they had 
great, great depth last year. Obviously, they needed to stay a little healthier than than they were. But uh, but yeah, they they had a lot of guys. You know, obviously a, the first full year last year for Martin coming back, no longer with them this year. But but yeah, they had you know they br- basically were bringing all those guys back and 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 being a little healthier. Yeah, it was a it was a good team, and it was it was more, really more of a hey, can we just get everybody together playing at the same time kind of thing for them? And, you know, it's probably a lot of what we're going to see again this year. Yeah, and look, there were some guys who had tough years. It was not a good year for Teddy Paralek. He went 10-11 and overall in dual matches, and he was dealing with so many different injuries, and there were just times when it was like, Teddy, we need you to play. And that he played as many matches as he did is a testament to Teddy Paralek, who I'm sure we'll talk about more when we get to the Baylor Bears, but... You know, it's interesting looking at the numbers, Maddie. Fernley, 9-3. and three. On paper, good year, but he was never really healthy. Jirasek, 9-5. and five. On paper, fine year, but never really healthy. Sander Jong, I actually think a 10-7 and seven performance from him. 10-5 and five at number three singles was a good year. He was broken by the end of the season. And just, you know, again, Fernley's back. Jirasek's back. Jong is back. Famba's back, and we'll talk about the new additions momentarily, but as we look at that nucleus entering this season, where are does this team feel like with all the depth we see across college tennis, do you like that core as much as you like some of the others? I do. I, I really do. I mean, they have to be up there. You know, and we'll talk about the new guys in just a second. It's going to be a different looking team, but no, that's a great core. I mean, they have to stay healthy, of course, but I like all those guys. They've now had several years under their belt playing college tennis. They know all about TCU. They know what Coach Roditi expects. They have to really lead the way. I mean, that is the core, um, and I expect them to do so again. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting. Chris, same question to you when you look at this team, their performance last year, NCAA quarterfinal, Big 12 regular season title. The, the, uh, much of the nucleus is back. If Gray come, if Alistair Gray had returned for an additional season, which he was capable of doing, this team is probably top five. Now he doesn't, but you still look at that nucleus. You still as high on the depth of this team coming in, even before we get to the newcomers. Yeah, I mean, ab- absolutely. With the caveat that you always have with you know there are just certain guys and or teams where you always kind of think to yourself. You know, much like, a, say, a Seguin at North Carolina, where you go, is he going to be healthy, right? I mean, if health, and so I have that the same kind of thing, if these guys, uh, you know, particularly Fernley, Jirasek, Jong, I'm not so much Famba, but Fernley, Jirasek, Jong, all three of them have had battles uh, over the last couple of years with, with being injured. If they are healthy, those four guys back is a great core. And then, as you said, they get some great additions uh, this year. Uh, so, so it's a, it's a super core to start with. And then you got to figure, you know, who's, who's kind of the leader in the clubhouse, if you will, as, as coach Roditi talked about today, is it going to be one of the existing guys? Is it going to be one of the transfers? Cause it's not just forever, right? They got two freshmen, but they've got two grad, you know, two transfers coming in uh, as well. So, Who's who's going to be the ringleader, if you will? But it's a it's a great core to start with for sure. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about those newcomers now, though, because you look at this team, that core is now supplemented by a heck of a you know by some nice pieces, and it starts obviously with a couple of faces we're familiar with: Juan Carlos Aguilar, who has been one of the top doubles players since he walked on campus at Texas A and M. He is at, he added to this team. It doesn't fill the Alistair Gray role, but to get a fifth-year guy who's competed in an NCAA quarterfinal, competed in an NCAA semifinal, been at the top of a conference race where you know you're jostling with Florida, Tennessee's the way you're jostling with Texas's and Baylor's here in the Big Twelve. There's no doubt he can come in contribute top three. You feel good about that, you know him, Famba, Jong. You feel good about that top three if it's your top three, but maybe it's not. We'll get there momentarily. Of course, you bring in Tim Rule, a little bit more polarizing. Uh, you know, this is not his first stop. It's not even his second stop, and that is not to speak poorly of Tim Rule. It's just to say he hasn't really found a rhythm on any campus. Now he's had a success at a bunch of different at each of his stops, uh, but it'll be interesting. 
to see if he's able to find his rhythm click in TCU in ways he hasn't been able to in the past. And then, of course, you get to the freshman, and this is where I think it in things get interesting. In particular, you look, you know, again, Lee Maxted, uh, Pedro Vives, those are two guys people speak very, very highly of. And they think those two in particular, that could be the difference for this TCU team. If one of them clicks right away, Maddie. Now, I know there's only eight guys on the roster, but you feel good about just about all eight of them playing. Yeah, and, and that's what I was going to say. It's it's not a huge team, but every single guy can really play. And that's where I think you have to be excited if you're Coach Rodita. I mean, you know all eight of these guys are going to push each other. Practices are going to be competitive. Trying to play in the lineup is going to be super competitive. Singles, doubles. I think it's a really nice mixture, this team, of that returning core. You know, we talked about Famba, um, Jirasek, Jong, and also Fernley. And then these four new guys. I mean, I think that's almost a perfect combination. Again, if they can stay healthy, they've got the experience. They have older players. They have all the talent in the world. I mean, all eight guys are extremely talented. And then they have that youth. We talked about these freshmen coming in. I really like it. I do. I think if they can stay healthy, perfect combination. They're going to be able to battle with anyone. And it's going to be tough to figure out who's playing where. Because, again, all all guys can play. But I will say... For the grad transfers, we know Aguilar is a major step up in doubles. I think this is big. When you lose Alistair Gray, who is such a good doubles player, to bring in somebody like Carlos Aguilar, who can just come in and kind of fill that role and play, you know, in the top pairing for dubs. And even Tim Rule, right? This guy has experience. He's he's posted really good results in singles, doubles. And now that he's in Fort Worth, maybe he can play a little lower in the lineup, right? At ASU, he was up at the top, singles and doubles. You know, he had to be relied upon as one of those key guys. Now, you know, when you've got Famba, you've got Jong, you've got Aguilar, Rule may be able to slide down a little bit, and he might excel there. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how this all shakes out. Well, the guy to watch in terms of the newcomers is Pedro Vives, who I believe right now has the highest UTR on the team and, you know, got a win over Rybakov earlier and got a win, I believe, over McNally earlier and, you know, goes three sets with Svenla, goes three sets with Tristan Boyer, beats Patrick Maloney and just, you know, he's had a, he's a high quality player. There's no denying that. And you feel like with him and Aguilar, you get two guys who are top four guys right away. And it's just like, okay, we lost Gray but we bring back Famba, we bring back Jung. We feel pretty comfortable about that top four. And then again, if Rule clicks or Fernley can stay healthy, Jirasek can stay healthy, do you feel worse about those guys at five and six this season than you did last season, Chris? Now, again, we had the opportunity to speak with Coach Roditi, and he talked openly. Health issues have been a problem once again for the Horned Frogs this fall. But on paper, Chris, and you're the professor who examines the numbers better than everyone, on paper, from a roster standpoint, A, your thoughts on how everything fits. B, where does this team stack up? Because there are a lot of pieces. You know, again, talking about if Michigan State is filled with five and six singles players, TCU's got like eight guys who play two through four. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the they're kind of lacking that one big hitter at the top for a it, solid one. And there's no to... Nori. There's no Ribo. That guy's not, you know, there's no, I'm trying to think who was before that. Who played one the year before Nori that they made when they lost to Oklahoma? Who was Axel? Oh, it's Nick Chappell. There's no Nick Chappell there this year. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think just game style wise and the ability to play with people at one, it's got to be Fomba. Right. Sure. I mean, I, I think you got to play him there because yep. he, he's the he's the most adaptable to playing number one type guys and, and pulling off big, big matches. Uh, but but yeah, there after that, you can pretty much roll the dice. And Coach Roditi talked about it today. And he was he was all for your lawless lineups deal. Like, I don't care. Pick my guys. Tell me what position you want him to play. Because he honestly I don't think he honestly knows at this point who's playing where because there it's going to be so close across the board. Uh, I mean, uh, paper wise, you know, we're, if we're talking UTRs, they're right up there. They're in a, they're actually right. As of right now, it's a dead tie with Baylor for the top spot in the big 12. 
Uh, and those two schools, both 31 hundredths ahead of Texas. Uh, now, I don't, I don't know that Texas has got, uh, I'm going to guess, I'll pull them up, probably doesn't have Bailey added in there. I'm not sure. Um, but, and, and that might be the, a difference maker there. Yeah, I don't see Bailey in there for Texas. So that probably pushes Texas over for sure. Uh, just given one, two, three, four, five, six, given their six is Chi Chi at 1298, Bailey's a mid 13. So, so they probably jump even to the number one spot then in, in the conference, but yeah, it's a, it's a dead heat uh, on paper. I think what's going to be interesting is, you know, as we know, some of those guys that we talked about the battle injuries last year, they've had guys battling injuries in the fall. Jir second Fernley, I don't believe have played since September. So you've got, a, they're probably battling some injuries. They've only got eight guys on the roster. So it's, it's a matter of who's healthy. And, and on top of that, Tim rule coming from Arizona state. I mean, it's, it, it's a pretty well-known fact that rules got some bum knees and some days he feels great. Some days he doesn't. Right. And, and, you know, so he's kind of got a, uh, a chronic, uh, you know, injury, if you will. So where there are going to be days where he's going to have a hard time going. So they really, you know, it may be more for them up to just, Hey, who, who's available to go early. Hopefully they get healthier as the season goes on. And like we've seen, they get really good come tournament time, but what's going to be a lot more interesting is they, they held nothing back in their scheduling and they start out the first weekend with number one and two in the country. So <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's not like they get to ease into the season. So, so they're going to get, you know, whoever is playing is going to get to prove themselves right off the bat. And we're definitely, I'm sure, going to get to see some of the, you know, the freshmen given other guys that are, that are battling some injuries right now. We're going to get to see the freshmen tested right away. Yeah. And I want to get back to the lineup. I want to, but I want to talk now about the conference because, you know, you, you talk about it, and obviously it's the 16 Big 12 Conference for now. Things are changes on the horizon, but, you know, Taylor, uh, Taylor, Texas, Baylor, that's a combination. You call that Taylor. Texas and Baylor, uh, obviously TCU on a tier on their own. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech on a tier of their own. It's just a brutal life. For the TCU Horned Frogs, there are going to be, you know, again, no matches off in that Big 12, and they're going to need their best six if they want to beat those teams because as good as the depth is for TCU, two injuries, and, you know, two serious injuries and a nagging injury, that would crush this TCU team. Texas is like, don't worry, we'll play our 12. Baylor's like, don't worry, we'll play our 14, and if that doesn't work, we'll call Maddie to come play for us for one rep, and we'll be fine with it. Like, those teams have depth with a capital D. Like, just out absurd amounts of depth. But that said, healthy, let's play a little game of speculation, Jones, Maddie. Let's break it down. I'm curious, in terms of how TCU compares, top of the lineup, back of the lineup, doubles experience-wise, what does this best version of the team, you know, do, are there any elements of it you like better than Texas or Baylor? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mm, not necessarily, but it wouldn't shock me at all if a fully health. I mean, look, a fully healthy TCU team clicking on all cylinders can beat pretty much anybody. If they beat Baylor, would I be shocked? No. If they beat Texas, would I be shocked? Not at all. I watched it last year. These teams are going to beat up on each other. They're going to play each other several times throughout the course of the year. They're going to win some. They're going to lose some. So that's going to happen. But overall, I mean, losing a guy like Alistair Gray. I mean, I look at the top of Baylor's lineup. I mean, I am so confident in that top three. And last year it was kind of funny because that was, we were talking about the top three of Baylor being the question mark. And now I'm even more confident in those guys. Same thing with Texas. I mean, just the additions that they brought in, bringing everybody back. 
I'm not really ready to say that they're, that TCU is significantly better than Texas or Baylor in the upper part of the lineup, the lower part doubles, but but they're right there. Again, if they're healthy, I think they are competing, and it's going to come down to a couple of points here and there either way. The way I look at the Big 12, guys, and you said this, Gruskin, you've got Baylor, Texas, TCU in some order. That is the top half of the conference, and I don't think it's close. Those are top 10 teams that have separated themselves. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas Tech, while still good, potential top 20, top 25 type teams, they're not quite at that level. So that's how I break it down. No, it's, again, why it's so important to talk about these three teams is it's very difficult to get three top eight seeds from the same conference. And, you know, again, come NCAA tournament time, that's going to be so crucial. And to your point, Chris, opening weekend, they've got a match on Wednesday, and then Florida, Tennessee come to town right away at the start of January. And I do think they've got one of the easier, I suppose, ITA kickoff weekends you look for in Wichita State, Tulsa, Portland coming to town. You feel like they are pretty certain to get through that, even if not totally healthy at that point. But again, I mean, they played Texas 4-3 last year. They were one of the few teams to get a 4-3 victory. And I do think at at the top, 1-3, through you know, Spaziri, Waldi, Braswell, that's really good. But Famba, Jong, you know, Aguilar have proven they can compete with those top three. So I think that's a toss-up. The problem is, as good as the depth is, is it Baylor good? Is it Texas good? Like, again, Texas's depth in particular now with all of the additions they've made, Ciamara and, you know, again— uh, all of them, all of them. That's the question for this TCU team is, are they the one that's most likely to get boxed out and be the Big 12 team, Chris, that's not the top eight seed? And thus, you know, again, they're playing in Ohio State. They're playing a Stanford. They're, you know, Arizona wins the Pac-12, let's say, and they sneak in and they get that eighth seed over them, whatever it may be. Like, I do feel like that could be the issue for this TCU team. Yeah, you know, what I find interesting is especially because the big 12 with only six teams, right. Has a very short conference season. <laughs> they could very easily finish third as obviously the three of us have predicted by putting them at number eight. I mean, there's no secret, obviously Texas and Baylor are still to come. They could very easily finish third in the big 12 and still be top eight because as we just stated their schedule is absolutely ridiculous they are not short on opportunities to beat teams they play florida they play tennessee they play virginia they play you know i'm not even i'm not look i don't have it up you can tell me who else is on there but they've got all of these non-conference matches against top 10 top 15 teams that you know it costs nothing to lose to and it gain, gives you everything if you win one. Even if those those three I just talked about between Virginia, Florida, Tennessee, if they win one of those matches, the two losses hurt not not at all, and the one win is huge and gives you a big a great shot at a top eight seed right there. So so yeah, I think it's very it's very possible that sure they are the third team in the Big Twelve in the regular season, and they still end up with a top eight seed, and we see three you know, potentially three teams from the big 12, uh, you know, hosting that super regional round uh, of the, you know, the top eight versus the next eight. Well, that's why I think the national indoors is particularly important for them because let's be clear, there's a world where they go 0-5 and and lose to Baylor, lose to Texas, lose to Florida, lose to Tennessee, lose to Virginia. And then it's like, well, we better get a win at the National Indoors. Like We better get one or two wins then because otherwise, even if they play those matches 4-3 and it's very clear TCU is on the level, uh, that, you know, again, that they just get boxed out because they lose all of those matches. And, you know, I, I teased this in our intro. I think now is a good place to get into it, Maddie. I do think number eight TCU is the, the ending of a tier where it's like we do have a top eight and we'll get to our top seven schools over the next seven t- weeks. But we Chris talking about the schedule – like, it does feel like TCU could go and beat Florida. It does feel like they could beat Tennessee if they are their healthiest because that depth is there. They've got a bunch of 
really good singles players top to bottom of the lineup. That said, of the eight, I think we have them at eight because it feels like even if the ceiling is that high, that the floor is the lowest of the group in the top eight. Is that a fair way of putting it? And, you know, again, do you think TCU is a tier above in Arizona, a Kentucky? I, I do. At least in my opinion, because for me, it was very clear our top eight tier might, you know, we all voted, yeah. but in my top eight, yeah, that's how well, I we had all had shaking. the same top eight in just a slightly different order. Right. So I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. It's just a matter with TCU. You know, I talked about the roller coaster before, right? It could be really high and they could be top four, top five, or it could be a little bit lower if injuries strike and things like that happen. I do think there is a little bit more variation with this team as opposed to some of the other teams at the top, but the talent is there. That's the thing, guys. I'm still very high on this team. I was super high on them before we knew that Alistair Gray wasn't coming back. When, When I thought he was still coming back, I think I had TCU top three. I really did. I mean, they were that good. So, you know, his loss does hurt, but man, I just... I, I know how hard they're going to compete, right? It's a Coach Rodidi squad. Every year this happens. Every year they're in the mix. They're going to be in the top 10, and they can beat anybody. It's a tough schedule. They're probably going to win a couple of those big matches. They're going to lose some of them. How are they feeling going into tournament time? Because last year, look, they beat Ohio State. I don't think any of us really expected that to go down the way that it did. That was a little bit surprising for all Especially of us. Especially after the Buckeyes had beaten Wake Forest the way yeah, they did. Yeah, exactly. And TCU goes in there and, and puts the hurt on them. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it was a good match with Baylor in the quarterfinals. I was sitting front row. I watched the entire thing. A couple of, you know, matches go the other way. And TCU's in the final four. It was that close. So, yeah, to me, this team is going to be there at the end. But how do they look? Is everybody available? How are they playing? That's going to make all the difference. I'm going to disagree with you. I don't think they were that close to beating Baylor in the quarterfinals. I just think they ran out of steam. Like, it was just clear that they didn't have enough healthy bodies left at that point. No, they competed extraordinarily well, but Baylor was always winning that match. Chris, same question to you. Yeah, I mean— Look, it, it, to me, it, it just all comes down to to all of these guys just just staying healthy. I mean, they're and you know what I've said this on many many occasions. When you get to the elite levels of these teams playing, we're talking like top eight teams playing each other. You're as good as your number six guy, mm-hmm. and they go. You know. They're, they're seven to eight. I, I say seven to eight because I just don't know day in, day out how healthy Tim Rule is going to be with the knees. But, but you know, down through Maxted and Rule, if healthy, any of those guys, you know, every single one of them is over 13. They don't have a guy under 13 UTR on the roster. Uh, so when you look at, you know, you run down the UTR list and Aguilar is sixth on the list at a 13-3, they're deep, right? They're going, you know, you've got solid, solid play at six. They're going to be, they're going to be a rock at four five and six, no matter what. And now if Famba steps up and does well, stay at playing one uh, and, and Vives comes in and shows, you know, shows what he did when he beat McNally and he beat Rybakov and plays, you know, maybe in the top. We don't even know. I mean, they can play the guy at five. Uh, we, you know, because they can, that whole roster, they can play anything. But, but that's the key to me is I don't even really care at this point. Coach Roditi will figure out what order makes sense to play him in. But I, to, in my mind, it's a lock that Famba's one and then two through six, it's whoever's healthy and whoever's there, but they're all good. And it's not, it's, it's not even going to matter. They're just, they have such good depth that as long as they have six guys, they're rock solid. The concern is that at some point, Rodini's going to you know, get into the team van. He's just going to start blasting the Beatles and go, help, I need somebody, help. You know, Just at some point, right? That's the concern is that they are just going to have those injuries continue to pile up, that the knees for rule are bad and that someone's got a cranky shoulder and whatever it may be. That's the concern, but you're right. Like, And again, with that in mind, let's talk potential lineups. Let's talk match calculus. I think we've now reached the point, and we didn't do this for Arizona and for Kentucky, but those teams, you know, they're probably two-plus teams. 
Is this a three-point team, Chris? I want to start with you here. When we look at the match calculus, you look at the possible lineups, you alluded to it there. Give me your perspective lineup. And again, where do you have this team? One-point, two-point team, three-point team? Where are they at? I bow out of the Gruskin point scale. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even in – that. I, I don't know what – it's – I, I can't my brain I think doesn't there are work two now. plus I think it's like we should win two singles matches in every match we play unclear what the doubles is going to look like you know again I think they should win two of four through six in every match and I don't know exactly yeah. about the top three yeah I I agree with that and I think the big so the the two Ooh, big I don't questions. get your point scale but now that you've said it clearly I totally well, get I'm, your point scale I'm, I agree that I think they should go two out of three at four through six uh, <laughs> okay. I mean yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to say that that makes them a two plus or a th- whatever. But but yeah, I think they they should feel really good about winning two out of two or three matches at four through six. The the unknowns we've talked about the the staying healthy, and as you've mentioned, doubles. It's an eight man roster, and only four of the guys come back from last year. You've got two freshmen. You've got Rule and Aguilar. So a lot of guys that haven't played a lot of doubles together, you know, without Although I quest. believe Vives and Maxted made semifinals of the National Fall Championships in doubles, so they have had some success as a freshman duo. Yeah, they, I mean, yeah, they did. They have played together well, uh, but, you know, it's it, it's early and it's a it's a semester, right? So so I think that's, that's the question mark. They could be great. Uh, we'll see. Um, but, yeah, I think lineup-wise, like I said, if, if I had to guess, Clearly, I've already said I, I play Famba at one. Um, I think I want to ease the youngster, even though he's their top UTR guy, right? Vive's in. I I would think that I'm looking at, and John was, you know, solid at three last year. I, I'm kind of look. I, I almost want to say, hey, let, let's look at between John, Aguilar, and Jirasek, Jirasek had a fantastic summer, by the way. And Coach Roditi talked about it. And you look back at some of the wins he had and really tight matches with guys in pro tournaments over the summer and a great summer. I think you could look at those guys starting out in the two through fours and even playing Vives at five. And that would be ridiculous. I don't know if he'll go that far. I don't know that it will even matter because as we've talked about with the health, someone's going to get pulled and he's going to be slid up anyway. Uh, but, but yeah, I think those, I think those guys are kind of the two through five. And then we probably see, uh, you know, maybe we're seeing, uh, Maxted at, at, at six. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure. I think, you Fundy's know, he's gotta be in there, Chris, if I, he's healthy. Yeah, if he's healthy. And that's the, that's the one guy that I could just never, he's, he's, seem to be hurt more than anybody he's absolutely going to be in there and i i actually like him down around that five spot he's 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 very very solid there i don't like to i wouldn't want to move him up too far but you're right it it could be a battle somebody probably doesn't play so it ends up not mattering and and he slides up but yeah you're right firmly would be he would be in if healthy and then max then probably ends up as the first guy out along with tim rule uh, but again, they're all going to play, but yeah, I would do that. If I, if you, if you made me pick, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Famba one. Uh, oh, golly. I just don't want to put the freshman up at two that soon. So I'll say I'll go. And, and I really don't want to put Aguilar up that high, even though we can see him play there. I'll go. Uh, I'll say I'll, I'll put Sander at two. Mm-hmm. I'll play Jong at three again. Wait, uh, we'll go Vivas at four. Jira second five. Sander is Jong. So where's Aguilar going? You said I'll play um, Sander at two and Jong oh, at three. I'm sorry. S- Sander at two, Aguilar at three. Yeah, there. Sander two, Aguilar three, Vives four, Jirasek five. Whatever. That's going to be a ridiculous five, whoever's there. I don't care what it is. That five, th- that spot for them, if they're healthy this year, should be like a you know, an, uh, an 18 and two spot or something like yeah. that. I mean, 
unless they're playing Baylor or Texas, they're going to win every, you know, uh, or, all or Florida or, or Florida or Tennessee who are no. all on the schedule or yeah. Virginia. Um, yeah. Who are all on the schedule. Yeah, so. If they hadn't scheduled such a crazy, uh, crazy schedule. Yeah. Uh, you're no, right. But even they do against have a, those schools, it's just like, that's where they should still be getting wins because they are that good still down below. And that's where I think their talent shines. I, I want to hear your thoughts, Maddie, but quickly, Chris, where does a healthy rule slide in there? I mean, I think uh, if the entire team is healthy, yeah, I, I, I don't think rules in the starting lineup. Wow. That's a take, Maddie. Thoughts? Yeah, and I, I it's hard, right? Because mm. I can kind of see why Chris would say that. I, I, I don't know. Look, I really don't know. It's an embarrassment of when you have eight guys like that, that can all really play. I mean, I guess it's a good problem to have if they're healthy. No, in terms of the lineup, I am somewhat similar to Chris here, but I would flip Aguilar and Jong. I, I would have Sander at three again. He played there primarily last year. I don't really want to move him up to two. I would be, I think, a little bit more comfortable with Aguilar there to start. I do kind of like what Chris said about Vives at four. I think that's a good spot to start. But again, by the end of the season, he might be much higher than that. So that could be a possibility. Is I, I don't think Jirasek and Fernley, I mean, I look at those guys, that's five and six. I mean, really, I think though that's where you want those guys to play. Neither one of them. I I really wouldn't want him in the top four. I've watched him play a good bit here over the last couple of years. I just, I would be confident with firmly Jirasek, those guys at the, at the five and six positions. And, you know, I'd roll, I'd roll with that lineup in terms of dubs. I mean, you know, Aguilar is going to come in and contribute immediately. No, he'll play with Famba. That's number one. You can lock that in right now. I mean, why not, right? Aguilar, Famba, that's that's a hell of a number one team. And then we know Sanders is going to play. He's a good Dubs player. Given their fall success, Vives and and, uh, Max did it too. Yeah, and then hey, I, how about Jong and Fernley at three? I w- we know Jirasek's not going to play doubles, so yeah. that's easy. We can eliminate him. He does not play doubles. He's never played doubles. I, he just he's not good. He's not good at doubles, <laughs> so that's not going to happen. So we can eliminate him now. Tim Rule again. This is a guy that that can play some dubs. Mm-hmm. So if if he's feeling healthy. What if he acts as like a double specialist? Maybe mm-hmm. he doesn't play singles. He saves the knees a little bit, but he plays dubs. Mm-hmm. That wow. could happen. I like it. Yeah, and so that could happen. Yeah, you look at this team. I agree with you. I think the six singles guys are pretty clear. I'll say this: I think Vivas starts the season in the top three. I think he's that good already. I think it's going to go. I think it goes Famba one through the indoors, and then I think that after that, Vivas overtakes him. But I'll go Vivas at two. Sander and Aguilar, three and four, you feel really good about that duo. And then, yeah, Jirasek, Fernley, five, six, you feel good about that as well. I think the double points, doubles point is going to be critical because, again, we're now at the section where if a team's up 1-0, it's going to be damn near impossible to find four singles victories against them. If TCU can get good at doubles, and to your point, Maddie, they've got all of the ingredients to be good. Yep. I, I really like the upside of this team. And, again, I think the hot take – if you're talking about this team, is that it's just a year from hell and that it is very much in play that they just have three injuries and one of the guys can play through that injury, but they're just, this team becomes incredibly thin, incredibly quick, and that the bottom falls out from under them. Again, of all of the Big 12 teams, this is the one of the top three. This is the one that's most likely to happen to. I think that's the hot take, right, Chris? Is that injuries hampered this team and that they don't make the round of 16? just simply because they don't have enough bodies at the end. I mean, it's, it's, it's certainly a possibility, right? I mean, it's, it's a take that could happen. The other thing we probably should point out, Alex, based off our conversation with coach Rodigi today is we're very likely early in the year to almost see two different lineups from him, an indoor lineup and an outdoor lineup. Sure. He talked about the fact that, you know, Famba and Jong, both, you know, good indoor guys, Aguilar going to be better suited to outdoors. So you might see them sliding around and it should be, and we should probably note that, uh, you know, the schools get to elect before the kickoff draft even takes place, whether they're choosing to play indoors or outdoors, they're playing indoors at TCU when they host, I mean, they're going to get through their region, no matter what. Uh, I don't even, if they have five guys, they're going to win. But, uh, but that's going to be an indoor team. So So, yeah, while I think I'm with you, 
Maddie, that especially when we get outdoors, I probably think you see Aguilar above Jung. Yeah. Indoors, he might flip that. And that we might see that from Coach Rodidi just because of the indoor outdoor schedule. But but yeah, I'm with I agree with you as well, Alex. It's you know, it's not an unforeseen thing that given the history with some of these guys, that it, you know, it would be awful, absolutely awful to see a bunch of nagging injuries hurt this team because there's so much potential there. Uh, but it's, you know, it's the risk you always run when you have, when you run a roster that's got eight guys. Yeah. One of my favorite things coach Rodidi said in the interview, he goes, Hey guys, if I couldn't land one Carlos Aguilar, a five foot six kid in Texas, then I should probably be fired. Cause I've lost my fastball. And yeah. uh, that was that, great. Uh, you, you, you left out saw the Latin American in there somewhere yeah, as well. Exactly. <laughs> I also just on a random note, but I meant to say this earlier, all I could think at the boys 12s this weekend was like, Oh, you're going to make a great UCLA Bruin. Oh, you're going to make a great Trojan. Oh, you are going to be so good as a Buckeye. Like that's all like, I'm telling you right now, Henry Miller will play for Ohio state. I just like, I see it in the game set. All I could think is like, Oh, you're going to be a Buckeye. Like I can, you are the heir apparent to Kyle Seedlick, my friend. Like, just so you know, you're going there. Um, but uh, that those are the things. And uh, Colin 2027 McPeak, college contenders. Uh, Colin McPeak, Virginia. You can just lock that one in. Um, but no, it's just, again, uh, it's fascinating. It, again, this is the start of our top eight, which we do think is a definitive tier this year. And talking to some people, uh, I know that, you know, again, they feel very highly of TCU. I informed a couple of coaches, hey, we have TCU at number eight, and they're like, too low, too low. You are sleeping on this TCU Horn Frog team. Now, again, if healthy, we know what their upside can be. Maddie, I'll start with you. Conference, nationally, indoors, et cetera. And I think I said it earlier, but they're national indoors. It's Wichita State, Tulsa, Portland. So you do think we'll see them in the final 16. Your thoughts on where this team ends up? Yeah, hundred percent. They're they're in the final sixteen at indoors. That's that's not even really a question. In the conference, look, it, it's tough, right? They they could win the Big Twelve. There there is no doubt in my mind. If things go the right way, if they stay healthy, they could potentially win the Big Twelve. I'm not going to pick them, so I'm not going to say that. I am going to pick them to finish third in the conference, even though. The difference there, I mean, we're talking razor-thin margins, right, between Texas, Baylor, TCU. Very, very close, and it could go any way. But right now, for me, I'm going to pick them third. Nationally, I have them as a quarterfinal team. Look, I'm going to say they're healthy, right? This is what I'm basing my predictions off of. I'm not going to play the what-if game and say, oh, well, what if this guy's out? What if this guy's out? No. A healthy TCU team for me is a quarterfinalist. They're too talented. They're too deep, too skilled, too good. They are a top eight team for me. That's where I have them finishing, not in the final four, but I do have them making the final eight, finishing in the quarterfinals, just like they did last year. Chris? Yeah, I mean, they're pretty much the same thing Maddie said. I, I, have, I would have them as a quarterfinal team. I as well think they're going to finish prob- the regular season probably third i mean that's where i'm picking them would i be shocked if they beat baylor they beat texas no not at all i'm not i'm not going to be shocked if that happens uh i'm not going to predict guys being out i do think they will have just because of the history some you know some different rosters being played early especially early in the season hopefully by time they get to that big 12 portion they're all fully healthy and ready to go but uh but yeah i i i think it's just all three of those teams between Baylor, Texas, and TCU now, some very experienced guys on all three of those teams. So it's really, really tough to, to nitpick the differences between them. But, uh, but I just lean a little bit in that Baylor and Texas direction over them. Yeah. And, and that's why I say third, but I do think they make, I do think they make the, the quarterfinals, you know, for NCAAs and I will take them as one of my quarterfinal teams, as I wait for you to dismiss them since you've already put someone from outside the top eight in. I'm dying to see who Gruskin leaves out of the quarterfinals. Well, I'll have you know, it's not going to be the Horned Frogs. Or is it? I have to make sure. I'm looking at my list right now. So I said... 
I said, Wolverine Homer has to leave Ohio State out. I mean, that's all there no, is to it. Spoiler <laughs> alert. That's not happening. So I kept in who? Kentucky, I said quarterfinals. Arizona, yep. I said round of 16, though. Yep. Way to buy yourself some slack, yep. Alex. Okay. Do I really want to do that? I don't think that's what I want to do. Uh, the thing is, this team could be just really injured by that time. You know what? Oh, sorry, Maddie, you're making a face. No, I'm just saying, don't think about injuries, Gruskin. We're talking about, let's just, we're assuming on all these teams, right? Why do we have TCU in our top eight? Because we're thinking of a healthy team. If we said half the guys are out, we wouldn't have had them in our top okay, eight. Okay, but here's the thing. Come May, there will be injuries, and you have to factor that in. And in depth of a team of, let's say, a Stanford or a Kentucky or an Arizona, do you like that depth better than this TCU's team? Just where the outcome is, they are closer to their ceiling than TCU is just by virtue of being healthy. And that's the sort of thing that factors into this prediction. Make your pick. Uh, Do I want to be accused of being anti-West Coast is really what this comes down to. And the answer is yes. I will have TCU reaching, oh, the NCAA quarterfinals. Seven straight top ten finishes. Let's make it eight. I agree with you guys. Give me TCU to make the final eight. Although, I mean, it doesn't matter. I can change this come NCAA tournament once the draw comes out. So I don't feel too beholden to that. In terms of the conference, I think they do beat one of Texas or Baylor at some point during the season, and at that point we'll overreact and we'll throw them up into our top three and we'll be like, is TCU actually the best team in the Big 12? And that I think we have that conversation at some point because they'll have two weeks where they're healthy and they just blitz a couple of people. Or let's say they start out the season healthy and they split with Florida and Tennessee, as Chris mentioned. Then how can we not be like, yep, we have them right. They are a top-tier team They're going to show that they're a top-tier team. There's also going to be a week where they lose to an Oklahoma or at Texas Tech because they're down to five guys, and that's just a tough match. But yeah, give me TCU to replicate a season they had from last year. I'd make it eight straight top ten finishes, another NCAA quarterfinal for them. That is our number eight team heading into our preseason, or heading into the 2022 college tennis dual match season, the number eight TCU Horned Frogs, of course, as we've alluded to. You can hear Chris in my conversation with TCU men's tennis head coach David Roditi over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can read more about this TCU team via Matt Sikoyak's article on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, if you missed episode number nine, we covered number nine, Arizona, number 10, Kentucky earlier as well. We've got seven more of these to go as we complete our preview of the 2022 season of course again if you miss any of that content you can find it all on our website crackrackets.com if you need the more immediate updates twitter instagram facebook youtube we are at crack rackets you want to message me directly i am at great shot potty shout out as always to our super producers max fligner and daniel westoff for the of editing job they do day in day out with all of that said i'll go to you first maddie Any final thoughts? I know I'm excited to get you to talk some pro tennis here this offseason. You're going to be hopping on the mini break with me sometime soon. But any final thoughts here on today's show? Yeah, no, it it was a good one, guys. Again, I I think to me, and obviously I pay close attention to the Big 12, but this is going to be an entertaining team. We know it always is. Coach Roditi is going to be out there. He's going to get fired up. And I think there is a lot of talent on this squad. Let's hope they can stay healthy. I I mean, we've beaten that horse to death, but um, yeah, they're, they're going to beat some teams. It's going to be fun. So we'll, uh, we'll see what the frogs can do. Chris. Yeah, no, I, the same, and I think Gruskin, as we were talking behind the scenes, we had been talking about comparing them to Florida and Tennessee, and for folks wondering, you know, how good is that depth? If if you look, go look and compare those teams UTR-wise, they're actually in the five, six spots. They're going to be favored, you know, over Florida and Tennessee that first weekend, you know, ever so slightly, but enough to tell you, hey, this this team is just as deep the questions really are going to be, can they compete up at the top with them? But yeah, they're going to be just as deep as those teams. So it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I, I can't, that's going to be one of the better. Well, not one of the better. That will be the best opening weekend that we get pre kickoff is seeing TCU, Florida, TCU, Tennessee, right off the bat in, in January. That's going to be great. 
And, yeah. and both of those matches, Chris, are in Fort Worth? Both in Fort Worth. Interesting. TCU's very good at home. Very good at home. Yeah, they made all of those matches, as, as you had stated, right? Only played eight home matches last year. And they've yep. got the floor. So they've scheduled Florida and Tennessee. And then they did their uh, their Mississippi trip last year where they caught both Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Well, they get both of those schools now in Fort Worth this year. So they got a lot of schools coming to play them uh, in Fort Worth. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, I don't have it up in front of me, Gruskin. Isn't the Virginia match in Fort Worth as well? I believe so. I do think Virginia's coming to wow. town this year yeah, as well. And they were on the road a bunch last season. And so, yeah, to your guys' point, we're going to learn just how good this TCU team is. But my final thought before we sign off, neither one of you texted me go blue after my Wolverines knocked off the Buckeyes on Saturday. Neither one of you. And was I offended? Yes, I was thoroughly offended. Like, I, I was thinking about it, and I— in terms of all time, I still think Virginia winning the national title in 2013 is number one for me. I would put – I mean other than our own, winning our own club tennis title. That's number one. Virginia winnings number two. Mich- this is probably number three. Michigan ten- men's tennis beating Ohio State number four. Like I do think those are my top four sport- – and Michigan making the indoors and being on the call for that was unbelievable. That would round out my top five. And not one – it didn't get a single text from you guys this weekend. Not one, Maddie. Well, so Gruskin, this is so this there's two a twofold answer to that. One is it was just revenge for the fact that the previous time I called you, you did not return my call or even acknowledge that I called. So <laughs> I thought that felt that felt fitting. Number number two, and this will make you feel good, is Trevor's got a young lady now in, in the life Tea. whose family whose family are huge Ohio State fans. As we were celebrating Thanksgiving and he was talking to her, he put her on speaker and he says, hey, my uncle has something to say to you. And he put the phone up. And the only thing I said was go blue. (laughs) (laughs) At which he got an awful reaction, but it was well worth it. So I may not have said it to you, but I did put it to good use. Well, that's a good reminder. We do have to do one more thing. Your Thanksgiving holiday gets written about in the Mississippi State website, whatever, and Maddie and I have yet to get an invite. What the hell, man? <laughs> I mean, you know— I actually don't it, think it, that's true. I'm pretty sure I did get an invite this year. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we've excluded— I, I don't know that I send out invitations like your mom gives me a Christmas card, but <laughs> uh, which I expect another one this year, by the way. But— uh, but yeah, the, it, it, it's open, and I think we we have offered that before, and you are more than welcome to come down. But yeah, that was actually, for those that haven't seen it, yeah, it's on my Twitter. I tweeted it out. It's on hailstate.com. Really nice. I didn't even know they were doing it. Great article written by them on the tradition that ever since Trevor was a freshman that we've had of kind of hosting uh, all the, and, and it's re- it was really all about hosting the international guys, right? They just, they don't have time to go home and go anywhere. They became family. And now even after Trevor's gone, we still go back, back. last year. I went and, you know, I drove 15 hours to pick them up and then I drove 15 hours to take them back. And, uh, you know, it's, we just love having those guys around and giving them something. Nobody wants to be alone during the holidays. So, so yeah, it was really, it, that was a great article. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, no, I saw Nick Braun there, and I was like, Nick got the invite again, and I didn't. Like, I totally outperformed him in Orlando, and he got the invite, and I didn't. Like, what are we doing here? Uh, but no, it was super That's awesome. It. Next next year, you're getting, you're both getting an official invite, even if you don't come. So you can't say that. Send me a dead turkey. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter to me. I'm in. Um, I'll bring stuff too, and we can fully document all of the festivities. But now, with all of that said, for my fantastic co-hosts, Matt Stachowiak, Chris Hallioris, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Gentlemen, what do we tell the people? Hey. Hey. Great shot. Great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone.